Well, good morning, everybody. How we doing? Merry Christmas. All right. Some of you have some Christmas spirit around here, and some of you not so much. Now, listen, um, I know that you didn't have much Christmas spirit because you didn't vote for me on our staff uh, sweater uh, competition. And so I wanted to remind you of what was the should have been the winner. And you can still go back on our social media page and vote. So just in case you were wondering, James somehow got away with it a full Christmas PJs. So, well, congratulations, James, but I still am mounting a comeback late in this one. Okay. So we're, we are in Advent, and I'm so glad that you are here. Advent, we've been saying, it's the coming. My name is Chris Plegenpole, and one of the things that I love to do is answer questions. And so if you have a question about anything that we're talking about, um, please text us, and I will answer this in Pastor Plex podcast, and Pastor Plex is me, because my last name is Plegenpole. We did that. Anyway, I would love to answer all those there. All right. Now, in Advent, there, usually we're talking about just the, the promises of God and how much He has promised with His Son, and it's so exciting. And a couple years ago, uh, I was doing ministry in Dallas, and um, I was at a men's Bible study, and in walks this guy. It was his first time there, and so whenever there's a new guy, if, just in case you were wondering, people always wonder if you're a Christian, you're like, we haven't seen you before. Like, why would you come? You know, in general, just, we just are sort of shocked. We shouldn't be. We, we have the best news of all time, but in general, we are. So anyway, I asked the guy, like, what brought you here? And he's like, well, I'm a full-blown alcoholic, and my coworker said I needed this. And I was like, okay, well, that's, that's, that's good. Yeah, and this is a great place to come. And so he had come sort of looking for a place of refuge, looking for a place of hope. And uh, he found Jesus, and he was like, got excited about the Christian community. He, he sort of got involved, got involved in my small group, uh, and then he got baptized at one point, and he was uh, excited about and for the things of God. And then as you know, especially with a bunch of single people, what happens when single people get married? They don't talk to any of their other single friends anymore. It's just that's what happens. It's not because we didn't like you. It's just that sort of, ha- you've got to be a, a hardcore working person as a single person to go keep in touch with the married friends because they're like, I don't know, somehow above all that. Anyway, so what happens is like sort of he didn't get married. The rest of us did. And then a, a, a portion of time went by. And then um, one night at like, did you ever guys get ever drunk text, texted? Anybody else get those every now and then? And so I got some drunk texts uh, from him in the middle of the night. And it was not exactly the, you know, I love Jesus type of text. It sort of kind of went the other way, and I was like, something happened. And so I, instead of going like, what's wrong with you, man? You're a cr-, I kind of felt like we already were beyond that point. And we started engaging conversation. It was usually uh, political satire going back and forth, and you know, him making fun of my friend Jesus. And so I appreciated that. I, I can work with you if I know exactly where we stand. And this, uh, this past week, you know, we've been going back and forth, and I go, hey, man, do you remember back in the day when you were into Jesus? He wasn't imaginary. He was just invisible. He's like, well, he never was real. Uh, I was never really into him. I said, well, you somehow got duped into getting baptized, all right? So somehow that happened. He's like, yeah, there was a season. And I go, what happened? He goes, well, how many people did you introduce me to during that season of our life? And I was like, I don't know, 20 plus, you know, there's a small group and you did lots of stuff and ministry with me. And he's like, okay. And how many people did JP, he was a, another pastor at the church we went to. How many did he introduce me? I said, probably a gazillion. And he's like, exactly. You know how many people talk? Oh, how many? Like, you're it. Because I... And what I realized is what had happened is that um, 
my buddy had taken the, the promises of God that he had heard and sort of applied them to the church. And I don't know if you guys know this. If you're like new to church, like this is not the place where perfect people are. Eventually, someone here is going to make you very upset. You're going to be in the political drama that is people because think about your family. Does your family have drama? Yes, it does. All right. Is there a part of Christmas that you're dreading? Yes, there is. All right. So what happens, what happens is that any family is like that. All right. So if you've been, uh, if the church has somehow hurt you, well, duh. All right. That's what people do to each other. Even ones you, we treat the ones we love the most, the worst in general. That's just how people are. Now, uh, except that this church, of course, because we're amazingly way above all that. All right. I'm kidding. All right, so what happened is that he sort of applied the promises of God to the people of God, and then we inevitably hurt him and didn't reach out to him and didn't pursue him and didn't do all the things that Jesus is called to do, and the church should do. We, we dropped the ball in many ways, um, but there was a problem. For my buddy, it was the, the promises of God were never fulfilled. He never saw God working in his life. He never experienced the joy of watching Jesus intersect, be, use him through his prayer or use him through his, the way he served somebody. It was always a sense of like, I am the consummate victim and those people never reached out. And so he never transitioned from this thing of needing amazing grace to be a person who was able to give it. He never saw God's promises fulfilled. And I think probably one of the things that prevents us from trusting in God's promises is just that. We don't see God's promises fulfilled in our life. We just haven't seen it. We, we'd like to see it. We, we're all for seeing it. And when it comes to that, it's just like there's this expectation that builds up and it's like, when's it going to happen for me? And it might be because, watch this, we don't know God's promises. And so maybe, and this is what happens, I think, probably for my friend and probably for a lot of us. Can I just get, man, this is going to get personal, right? Ready? Sorry. You don't know God's promises. And so when you've made a lot of God's promises up in your head, like for example, God wants me to be happy. Like somewhere you like put that out there and you're like, well, God wants me to be happy. So I should just do what feels good. And I'm like, man, where is that verse? Come on, let me, let me find that one. And so what happened is you mistook what the world's promise is, watch this, from all of your Hallmark Christmas movies, okay? And then, and then you applied them to your life, and then all of a sudden they didn't fulfill, and it's because you never knew what God actually said. Because, because who has time to read this ancient book anyway? Keep moving. All right, okay, this one. All right, here, when it comes to knowing God and trusting his promises, it might be this, that you... You would love to, to trust in God's promises, but the reality is you've broken all your own promises. You look at your marriage, you look at your, the, you know, your parenting, you look at your kidding, you know, like you've been a cruddy kid to some parents. You've been an awful father. You've been a, a bad, you, you listen to jazz sing, you're like, crud, I'd probably put that in my own kid. There's that reality that all of a sudden you feel like you've been blackballed from God's presence. So of course, of course I can't trust God's promises because I can't trust me. And so since I'm on the out and I feel all this guilt, he wouldn't want me there. And maybe you got drug here today because, you know, it's Christmas and you're with family and like you, you kind of have to do with that. And you're going to, 
you know, everyone's going to go, you're always dreading the after this. So what would you think of the sermon? I thought it was ridiculous. You're already kind of working out the line you're going to say. And you're, you're trying not to be rude. And you, you, you've already caught, you know, we all go through that, right? And so I want us to get to a place where we're looking at God's promises as something that we can sink our soul into, where we can stand on and go, oh, this is the thing that doesn't move. That's where I want to go this morning. And so we're going to be in a passage of Scripture that you probably uh, haven't ever read unless you're Catholic, okay? All right, here we go. We're going to pray and ask God to open up our hearts and move through His Word in a powerful way that you wouldn't leave here the same, but rather you would leave here ready to watch God work powerfully. Let's pray. God, thank you um, that you are doing something really, really, really special and really, really powerful. And God, I need you and I long for you to move in through us. God, there's something really special here. And I pray your spirit, your power, your grace, your mercy will be so clear this morning. Hide me behind the cross as I present you as one, as you are, as one whose promises we can trust. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said, amen. All right, here we go. So um, we're about to get into uh, the Benedictus, to which, uh, okay, how many have you ever heard that term before? Do I have any Catholic people here? All right, what's up? I've got a couple of you guys. All right, last week we talk, talked about the Magnificat. That was Mary's song, a right, super famous Latin song that you've probably heard but didn't know what it was. And then the second thing is the Benedictus, which is what Zechariah's prophecy would be. Now you're like, who is Zechariah? Well, let me fill you in. So the story that we started about four weeks ago is that this old priest, I mean, we're not talking like, you know, my age old, like he's pushing 40 and you guys are like 20. We're talking about pushing 80 old and he's got a wife and it's not like a young trophy wife. She's about the same age. And she had been, she'd been nicknamed Baron, really unfortunate nickname. All right. And they, hey, where's Baron at? I don't know, but she ain't got a baby. All right. So like, that's kind of what was really tough for her. And then all of a sudden the prayers that they prayed in their twenties, thirties and forties finally come to fruition when she's pushing 80. Right. And, uh, an angel comes and visits Zechariah in the temple as he's before God, to which you'd think priests would sort of expect that might happen, but he doesn't. He can't even believe it. And then Gabriel, the angel, mutes him for the nine months until the baby's born. And then uh, when the baby comes, uh, they, they go, they gather around, the whole family's there, and they ask Elizabeth what to name him, and she says, we're going to name him John. And in those days, you didn't go outside the family, you know, Geneal genealogical tree um, for a name. You stuck with a name you knew and you kind of passed on lineage. You know, he'll be just like Uncle Bobby or whatever. You know, like that's sort of how that would go. And then all of a sudden they say John and like, John, nobody knows a John in your family. And they go to Zechariah and like, what's this kid going to be named? He says, give me a tablet because he's mute and deaf and he can't hear anything. He just, his name is John. And as soon as he can talk, he starts prophesying. And that's where we're going to go into this prophecy as he's holding his kid in the excitement of the moment. He's got a newborn son, the thing he'd been praying for for a long time. And he jumps into this. Ready? Here we go. We're going to go start Luke 1, verse 67. All right, Luke 1, verse 67. Here we go. And his father, this is John the Baptist's father, and his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited 
and redeemed his people. I love this, just because it's Advent. This word uh, visited is episketomai. Episketomai. And it means to come and help. And you're going to see, um, I kind of call it like a, I don't know, a hamburger. The bun starts with episketomai, and at the end we're going to see an episketomai, and in the middle is the meat of what, uh, what uh, the author Luke here wants you to get of this per- section of the Benedictus, which is a blessing or a prophecy that Zechariah has. But the Lord has come to help, and a lot of us need it. And so that's great news. For he has visited and redeemed his people. And whenever a prophet speaks, he usually uses past tense. You know, like it hasn't even happened yet. No, no, it has happened because God is outside time and space. And so when he sees something happens, it's as if it has already happened. And he's come to redeem and he already has redeemed his people. And then verse 69, he's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. To which you're like, horn of salvation? What? Is this like a rhinoceros? Or I don't understand. No, a horn of salvation is sort of what any messianic deliverer leader would sort of be. Because a horn, think of a rhinoceros horn, that's actually a good visual. It would be there to defend and to attack. And so with the Messiah, he comes in power. He's not a weak Messiah who can't. He is strong, mighty, and able for us in the house of David. Okay, now look. I want you to see this about Zechariah. His answered prayer, watch this, reveal God's activity personally and globally. Whenever this happens, remember, this is the thing that he'd been praying for his entire life. If you've never had, a, or if you haven't experienced infertility, it's something you think about all the time. It's something that is on your heart. It's on your mind. It's like, this is, this is my thing. When is the baby going to come? I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying. I'm looking at all the other uh, birth announcements from all my friends and feeling like somehow I am less than. And in this moment, Zechariah has a moment, and the first thing out of his mouth is, look at my kid! And I love that. Because Zechariah's worship starts with the giver, not the gift. And I think this is so great. This is so great. And I'm going to try and help just get your head here. You see, God has the power to do, to start, and to stop anything. This is not only is he omniscient, he's all-powerful. He is all-powerful. He is able. And I was trying to think of a good thing that sort of uh, helped explain this. Um, and, I, and the, the piece that came up for me, have any of you guys seen the Chosen, like, miniseries thing that, about G, the life of Jesus? Yeah, it's pretty mind-blowing. Like, I cried. Like, now, granted, uh, Adrian says that I was a little bit high because I'd taken a lot of medicine because I'd just gotten a certain procedure that men get when they're ready to be done with children. And uh, so I was, might have been on a lot of meds. But I, like, wept all the way through this thing, right? And there's a scene where uh, Simon, uh, like Simon Peter Simon, Simon is in debt. They kind of add a little, they do some, take some poetic license, and they add that he's in debt to the Romans. They're about to take his house, take his boat. They're about to put him in prison, and he's going out fishing all night. And he better, he better have a massive catch, a miracle catch. And, uh, in fact, his, his buddies, James and John and Andrew, show up in the dead of night, and they help him, and they catch zero fish. And in the morning, they, they roll up onto the shore, and there's Jesus. And there, he's teaching on the, the shore. And Andrew is like a little kid. This Jesus, it's Jesus. Like, it's 
I miss you? And Simon's like, listen, listen, I, I appreciate your excitement about some preacher guy. I'm sure he's fabulous. We should go and hear him and pay big money for it. But the reality is I need fish. So please, unless he's going to give me some fish, can we just move on? I need, to, I need to prepare myself for life imprisonment. And then all of a sudden, Jesus turns around and he goes, hey, uh, hey, may I borrow your boat? They're having trouble hearing me. And, he, and Simon's like, yeah, sure, whatever. And so he start, he's mending the nets. He's fixing the nets. He's trying to get all the nets together. And uh, Jesus is teaching on the boat. And then he's done. He's like, hey, uh, hey, Simon, do me a favor. Would you throw out your nets again? And he's like, um, teacher. And you can, just, you can just see him as hard as he can trying to be as polite as possible because he's just done with life, right? He's like, we've been out all night. There's... And he like looks at him. He doesn't look like he's fished a day in his life because, well, he probably hadn't. And uh, he goes, Jesus, we were up all night. We didn't catch a thing. And it's, it's like the time of fishing is over. Um, the, the time that my kids like to go fishing is like 11 a.m., all right, because that's when we can finally get out of the house because it just takes that long to get things moving. And so in that, at 11 a.m., are there any fish out? No, they are all gone. It is way too hot. And so Jesus at like 11 a.m. goes, yo, uh, send it out. And he's like, that's your word. And he throws the net over. And just the exhaustion, the exasperation, it's like, whatever. And then all of a sudden, the boat fills up with fish. I'm not talking like two or three fish. I mean, it's like the boat it starts to sink. He calls over his buddy, uh, James and John, and their dad, Zebedee. And next thing you know, the both their boats are filled up. And all of a sudden, all of his debt is paid for in a second. And it's like, oh, when you encounter... When you encounter the living God, it shuts everything down. You're just like, I don't get uh, what, what. It, and then Jesus looks at him again, and it's different. He's like, depart from me. You don't know how awful this dude is in here. He's like, come on. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. Now, what he could have done, I said, hey, let's take this thing on the road. Let's get, we'll, we'll be the fishing king. We'll start, we'll call it. Instead of it being Amazon, we'll call it Jesus Fish. And then next thing you know, we'll have delivery systems. We'll have it online shipping. We'll get people fish faster than anybody. And we can start with fish and then get into cybersecurity. We can get to web services. We can go into healthcare. We can just start with the fish and kind of broad scope, take over the world. And then my message, easy peasy. But he doesn't do that. And then when he asks Simon to give up fishing for the rest of his life, he's like, hmm, yeah. Because why wouldn't he? He just defeated all of fishing in a split second. Or he could have gone to the wine business. You know, I mean, wine's a little classier than the Jesus the fish king. He could be like, you know, he could be the classy wine. Like, not the stuff I get at the gas station. Like, this is the stuff that, you know, when you have the party, like, it's like people are like, whoa, where did you get this wine? I mean, what year? And he's like, nah, it's Jesus wine. It's always good. All the time, baby. You, you want some wine, you come to me. And it could have been that. And he could have started, we could have, global scale, global operation. I mean, when you have zero labor costs, when you have, like, your stock price is going through the roof, it's easy to take over the world when you have the money to do it. And he goes, nah, we're going to go a different route, and we're going to leave everything behind to change the world. Everyone's like, that's the worst plan ever. Like, you've got this perfect thing to kind of go. It's like, I've got even something more perfect. Because here's the thing. 
with all that stuff, it all ends when somebody dies. And when you can fix death, now we're talking health care. And I think there's this part of us, right, that whenever Jesus gets going in our life and he gives us success and he gives us a gift, there's a tendency, I know there's a tendency in me to start focusing on the gift as opposed to the giver. But answered prayer always reveals what God is doing personally and globally. So for me, for me, um, when I've, Really, in my 20s, when I started to engage God, there was something that was happening. I would pray, and stuff would happen. No, I would be like, God, I need this thing to happen. And, like, you know, and, and it's and now, in looking back, it's like God was really patient with me because those answered prayers were really selfish. <laughs> but they all came through. It was like, huh, that was weird. And then over time, God was able to mature my prayers. But he, in those early times, I got to see God move on my behalf a lot. A lot. And all of a sudden, I found myself being activated in the middle of God's will, praying for other people and seeing stuff happen in their lives. I'm going like, whoa, this is awesome. And then one day, God spoke to me. said, it's time. I knew that meant it's time to leave the military, go in the ministry, leave it all behind, and go for it. And I'd seen him do so much, how could I ever go back? And then I became pastor of this church. And can I just be honest with you? Here, here's the temptation. Ready? Here it is. I know you're going to be shocked. The very thing that brought me into ministry is my prayer life and the experiencing of God's unbelievable, miraculous stuff. And you know what can happen? For me, I know, not for you super spiritual people, it probably never happens. But what can happen is I can get so enamored with the gift of ministry. Like, I love ministry. I love preaching. I love uh, counseling. I love visioneering. I love uh, church things. I love church things. And what can happen, what can happen is I can get so in tune to the church stuff that I miss out on the intimacy with the Father, which brought me into this thing all to begin with, and the source of the power. I know none of you would do that because you're way mature. But the reality is, isn't this what happens to us? That we get this incredible gift, and we start focusing on cultivating the gift as opposed to spending time with the giver. And all of a sudden, the very thing that we got to see God work through us in, this is how you get burnout, by the way. When you get angry at the church and you get angry at people, it's because you haven't had time with the Father to reflect on how good he is and the time and the love he has for you. And all of a sudden, everyone seems like the enemy. As opposed to someone you're supposed to serve and love. Because it's very hard to love people which we've discussed, are already broken when you don't feel the love from the Father. Does that make sense? All right, so let's get back to Zechariah and in his Benedictus, verse 70. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore. Now look, three times he's talking about something promised, a covenant, something that would never be broken. And he's talking about the one that was sworn to our father, Abraham. Now the thing you may not know about Abraham is that Abraham and Zechariah had the same problem. And I love this. Whenever I read of saints of old, I can read my story in here. Can, can you guys do that? Like when somebody has an issue with the family, like they, 
It's all up in here, right? Uh, when somebody has an issue with other people, when there's oppression, when there's darkness, when there's fear, these people here are normal human beings who half the time screw it up and half the time are doing really well. And you kind of want to, you're like, I want to be like the ones that did it right. But even the ones that did it right also had a time of doing it wrong. And I love that. Even Abraham. Abraham had a, here's where Zechariah connected with Abraham. They were both uh, old men who had never had children. Married to old ladies who had never had children. And had sort of given up on the dream that God had given them. And so he's kind of like this thing of God answered their prayer personally. And then used that answer to prayer in their personal life to affect so many more. Isn't that awesome? I mean, imagine if you, the thing you've been asking God for, if it wasn't just for you, that you could see how God could use that through you to affect and bless other people. Okay, now look, to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Now, this is what I love about um, Zechariah. He was a priest. So preaching and knowing God's word was like sort of his thing. Uh, But God brought to mind that which the heart had studied. In fact, one of the things that um, is prayed over me every week, uh, and something that I I learned in seminary as I was taking tests, okay? So it was this. The the professor would pray over us. God, I pray that you bring to mind all that these students have studied. And so as I preach, I ask God to bring to mind all that I have studied. Because when I get up here, it's like the lights are on. You're like... What was I going to talk about again? And what happens is that God brings up that which has been stuck into my heart, the stuff that I've read, the stuff that I've studied. But you know what God doesn't bring up? The stuff you haven't studied. Like, this is how a lot of us, like, like study God's word. I'm just going to, it's osmosis. I just put it right here. And then I just know, and this is what people say to me all the time. I just, like, God was speaking through me, and I said, blah 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 But if it wasn't through God's word, I'm just like, I get a little nervous when we start talking like that. Just FYI. Okay. Uh, here's a couple things that, you know where this starts, though, in hiding stuff in your heart? It starts when you're a kid, all right? Uh, my parents had sayings. I don't, do you guys have sayings in your house? Like, Daddy always said, and usually it's always followed by something really I always find when people say that, it's really an odd thing. My, my dad some, said some weird stuff. So here's what he said. Uh, the classic thing for my dad was, well, rather be lucky than good. <laughs> and I would always be like, what does that mean? <laughs> but honestly, now like, I'll find myself saying it. <laughs> like something happens, I'll destroy James Foster in fantasy football. And I'm like, well. Rather be lucky than good. You know, that's kind of what ends up happening, right? Now, what can happen, what happens, <laughs> that was for free. Um, or, or my mom, my mom had a saying. My mom's right here. And my mom's saying is, Chris, always have reserves, all right? So, and what that means is don't financially overextend yourself, right? So uh, this past year we had, like, uh, the AC go out. Uh, we had, uh, like, several refrigerator go down. We had a lot of different issues. And I, no problem. Why? I followed my mom's directive. Always have reserves. We weren't worried about it. I always had reserves. That was just like built into me from the get-go. Right, Mom? Right. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, I wanted to kind of take this to a next level when it comes to God's promises. Because when it's, when it's in your head and it's in your heart, it's been on repeat for your whole life, what can happen is that it comes up. Now, um, so this week, uh, I had a, a friend of mine, Kevin. Kevin, um, 
Kevin Reese, you guys might know him. He remodeled the Live for More Center for us, for the children's ministry. I'm so grateful for him. And um, several years ago, we talked about Jesus, and he wanted to believe. And he always came, he's like, here's my issue, though. <clears throat> I, I, I love the accepting Christ part. I think that's so, and you are so happy. I want to be happy like you're happy. And I'm like, oh, gosh, it's not, okay. Um, and I go, there's this thing that, of sin, right? There's this, this thing of sin that separates us from God. He's like, yeah, that's the part I get stuck on. Sin kind of reminds me of being guilty, you know, feeling bad about things. And I don't like feeling bad about things. I like feeling good. Like, you look like you're feeling good. And I go, that's because my sin has been dealt with. And he's like, yeah, okay. And so we paused right there. It was kind of like a pause. And then over time, he, he, I would, you know, in our conversations as he was, you know, renovating different things, uh, we'd kind of go over the gospel. It's not about making you a, a better, nicer person. It's about being made, going from death to life, that in your sin, you were dead in your sin, and that you're alive in Christ. And, he, and so that was coming, and this past week he had a, a kidney transplant. And he's like, hey, can I, can, I, can I call you? And I'm like, yeah, of course you can call me. And I'll never forget this. He's like, um, I'm going in for surgery. I just want to know that Jesus will be with me. Well, I love that question. I love that. How do I know for sure? And I said, there's some promises that you need to know. That if you accept Christ, if you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sin, and he rose from the dead, you will be saved, and the promise is that he will always be with you. Hebrews 13, 5. You can just write that down. It is a guarantee. You can, you can set the weight of your soul on that. And so he goes, I just want to know that Jesus will be with me. And I, I prayed with him. He's like, I feel like he's with me. And then uh, after surgery, I text him. He goes, how to go? He said, it's amazing. I know Jesus is with me. And then, yeah, you could be excited about that. And then uh, and I, I said, listen, um, I will, I'd love to share that with everybody. He's like, man, please do. I, I didn't recognize how Jesus dealt with my sin. And I'm free. I'm born again. And the thing that was so sweet about that from Kevin as a guy in a place where he needs a kidney transplant, an age where, like, he's past the youthful exuberance of, like, yay, Jesus. And he's at a place where I need him. And there's some promises that I feel like, I don't know where you're at. I mean, I love Jazz's testimony this morning of, like, just needing the Father. I mean, man, it's powerful. But here's some reminders. This is what Jesus says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Uh, Jesus says, I will protect you. I will be your strength when you're feeling weak. I will provide for you. I will meet your needs. I will give you peace. I will always love you. And I will finish the work I started in you. And I think for some of us, we're like, no, no, you don't understand. Uh, I accepted Christ. Now I have to finish the whole work. And I'm a mess. And I can't do it. No, no, no. He finishes the work in you. Your job is to yield. And I think for a lot of us, we've gotten to this place where um, we haven't studied and we feel like we're not worthy of studying. And anytime we open the Bible, no one's going to, I don't understand it because it's just too hard. And we're afraid to ask anyone for help because God knows they're going to think we're all dumb. And I can't be ignorant because everyone already knows you are. That's the thing about it, right? No one's going to be like, what? You didn't know the Bible. Right? Everybody knows where you're at. It's not a shock to them. And I think sometimes we just come to this thing of so much fear. And then 
I want us to just be at a place where we can accept the promises that God has that is ultimately for our good. And watch, I love this about Zechariah. Verse 76, look at this. He takes his attention off God for a moment, and that he looks from the giver to the gift he's given. He says, and you child. This is so awesome, and here's why. I think for some of you, you're so afraid to ask God for anything. Because just in your head, you're like, he's going to say no. My, my son, Austin, um, we were going, uh, we were at a Bass Pro Shop because we were going to do pictures with Santa, which was an interesting experience in a coronavirus world with a lot of plexiglass. Anyway, and he didn't want to go look down to Miles. And I go, why don't you want to look? He's like, I don't want to want something I know I can't have. And I think that's how a lot of us are. I don't want to talk about wanting a spouse. I don't want to talk about uh, wanting uh, the, the next job or the next career. I don't want to talk about wanting anything because I know, I already know, I'm Job. My life is going to be awful. I think there's a, there's a part of us where some of us sort of live in that reality and you're so afraid to jump into the joy of Jesus. And so for some of you, like, your problem is just like, God just wants me to be happy. And some of you on the flip side, that God just wants me to be miserable. And, you're, and what, you know what's funny? When you have this like overly self-denial, self-indulgent, and I, can't, I can't get anything good for me, it actually hurts the people that are around you. Did you guys know that? Because like, when you can't have joy, neither can the people around you. It's like, well, we're all going to be miserable because we're with him. And you, child, and here it is. She's just excited about that. You will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. There it is all over again. We need knowledge. That you are a sinner. I know that's shocking for a lot of you. You're like, what, me? Yes, you. It's not that you just made a mistake. Mistakes are something you can erase with a pencil. All right, you were dark in your heart and evil. The way that you thought, the way that you spoke, the way that you did that thing to that person was evil. And yet Jesus, in his love for you, comes and he goes to the cross. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might be the righteousness of God. That was that great trade that happened, and it's beautiful. Now, watch. Why does he do that? Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise, and some translates the sun or the morning star, shall visit. It's that same word, Advent. Episketomai, to visit with that idea of I'm here to help. To help us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Now, here's what's such good news, and I say this a whole bunch around here. God promised to push back darkness. Like when you feel the darkness coming in, God, that's what God does. He pushes it back. You know what happens in darkness? Chaos, disorder. That's what happens. When the, when the world was first void, it was chaotic. The, the word void there just means chaos. When all of a sudden the Lord said, let there be light, and he brought order to the chaos immediately. 
And what Jesus does when he comes into anyone's life, he brings order to the chaos. He sheds light on your sin, the darkness of your heart, the wounds you've experienced. It says, let me order that for you. Let me transform you and train you in right thinking because your heart's been so darkened by the flesh's desires of seeking whatever would make it happy in the moment. And we all know that leads to chaos and the darkness reigns in chaos. And the most important thing about this is that when God promised to push back darkness, he doesn't do it for you. He does it for him. Because God is committed to his glory. Like, his glory is, like, far greater than anything you could ever want or anything for you. Because the most important thing God is concerned with is about him. And if he is more concerned about you, then you would be God, and that would be weird. And that's why I love Romans 8, 28. There's this, this promise. All things... All things, good, bad, awful things, work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. What's his purpose? His glory. And so what can happen is that as our life gets difficult, we start to focus more on our disorder and we try to fix it by feeding the next thing that our heart is securing. Like we'll escape to the next um, Hallmark movie because I need something to feel better about my awful Christmas. I will um, binge the next video game because I need to experience something where I get to be the hero of my own story. I will go to the next thing of escape or I'll control something or I'll just please like me. Please like me. I'll search for my significance in your approval in your eyes and I will be whatever you want me to be. This is like the people, remember the people that they said this about high school? Yeah. I didn't really have a friend group. I was, I could hang out with the jocks or the band nerds or the whatever. That's because you had no personality. Because you, you had a fear of identity that you might be stuck in a spot or, or, or you would say, Whatever you needed to say for people to like you in the moment, and you never were really sure who the heck you were. Can we be real? And what God says, I want to give you an identity. So powerful, you're not afraid of it. You don't care. That when the light exposes who you are for real, you are like, I am my Savior's son. I am my Savior's daughter. I walk in the Spirit. I'm not trying to be conformed to anything other than Jesus. And the darkness gets ordered by the light. So this morning, um, I want to come up with some promises that, about God that will never change. God is unchanging. He says, I am all-powerful. I am all knowing, I am all loving, I am all good, I am in control, and I am patient even with people who aren't. Isn't that great news? In fact, these are the promises I want you to hang your hat on. So here's what I'm going to do. I made, we made a, um, a bookmark because we want you to start reading your Bible. Uh, and so I figured what would be a good thing. So the, here are the promises that God is committed to his glory on one side, Romans 8.28. God is committed to your good on the other side, Romans 8.28. And I just gave seven promises about God and seven promises about you that he is committed to. And so I want to, um, as you leave here today, or actually, I guess yeah, I have uh, my ushers here. If you want one of these, and, or if you want to give one to somebody, uh, I would love for you to take one of these. And I want this to be something that you hang your heart on. And the question is, will you trust his promise that doesn't change, like shifting shadows, that doesn't change when someone walks out or walks into your life? I want that to be your hope. And 
the, the thing that becomes really special about this is that I want our hearts to be focused on the goodness of God in the land of the living, and that's why we take communion. This might be a little more challenging. So Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. He broke it. He said, this is my body given for you. And what he was doing in that moment, he was saying that your soul was designed to feed on me like your stomach was designed to feed on this bread. And that same night, Jesus took the cup, said, this is my blood shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Do this in remembrance of me, that your sin was taken fully care of on that cross. And how beautiful is that? Now, I want to do a couple things this morning. I want to remember what Jesus has done for us. I want uh, to lean into the cross this morning. That he is taking care of your sin. Your sins are as far as from the east as from the west. There's no, no, therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And we can rest in that. But if you're not a Christian, or if you've been going through life just sort of like on autopilot, meh. I'll get through the religious time with the weirdo family people that like it. It never mattered, it never meant anything to you. But maybe this morning God is doing something in your heart. And it feels weird and squishy. And it sort of makes you want to cry and run away all at the same time. And that's the Holy Spirit working. It's confusing and exciting all at the same time. It's where Jesus looks at your heart and says, you're mine. I chose you. And I want to spend an eternity with you. So if you've never accepted Christ this morning, before we take communion, my hope for you is that you would simply believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and rose from the dead. And your prayer would go something like this. God, I'm a sinner. Sin against you, my thought, word, action, a whole bit. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you rose from the dead. And then say, Holy Spirit, come into my life. Make me the person you want me to be. Maybe even saying the word Holy Spirit is just weird. Who says that? The weird people. But maybe this Holy Spirit power is the very thing that might bring joy in the darkness, order in the chaos, and hope, and peace, and joy, and love. And those promises that seem to be everybody else might be one day might be might be really for you and you fully embrace it fully accept it and you run to the father and if you've been a christian for a while um, my hope and my heart for you is that you wouldn't feel like these promises are one and done that i already did all that no 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 the most important person you preach the gospel to is you watch this you know you're a christian here's how you know so you know, if when you're in the midst of screwing it up, if you're in the midst of sin and you run to the Father, only Christians do that because they know that there's mercy and grace and forgiveness. You know what most of us do? We run from the Father because we're so wounded and we're so hurt. And we know what happens when we are caught in our wrong. And so what happens on Saturday night could never be brought in Sunday morning. I'm not allowed to be there. The place would burn up. All that ridiculous stuff that people say. What you're really saying is, I'm afraid. 
God's saying, fear not. I'm with you. I've come to bring you home. Daddy said, I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. So as we pray, uh, we're going to take a time to take communion. And as we do, I just want to get our heart right um, for the Lord. And this is something that Christians do as family. If you accepted Christ for the first time in this sort of moment, that's you. But if that's not you, just, ah, it's cool. Don't do it. Let's pray. Father, um, I'm excited about all that you're doing in and through this place. That, God, your grace would be sufficient, your power would be made perfect, and we would watch you work in a really unique way. So, God, as we take communion with one another, as we go before you, taking one body, one bread, this, this heart hope that we have that's fully in you, God, that you continue to work in us. Lord, I'm praying for that person who's never met you, who just felt all warm and squishy on the inside and had some something leak out of their eyes. And maybe like the Grinch, their heart was three sizes too small, and all of a sudden they felt it grow. But God, that you would do something in their life that they could never turn back from. It'd be this moment like there was once dead, but now I'm not. I'm now alive and found by Jesus Christ. And God, for those that have, have been doing this for a while, and maybe have gotten tired, and the ways of the world have made their heart, heart callous towards the thing of God, and they haven't picked up a Bible in God knows how long. And God, I'm praying that you would remind them of your promises there for them. And maybe just a simple bookmark may open their hearts to the reality of the truth of the gospel. Lord, you're so good. You're the God of miracles. You're the God of healing. You're the God of power. You're the God who can do anything at any time and change any situation. But the one thing that you did and you chose not to escape was the ultimate unrighteous act of you, Jesus, being crucified on a cross. But in that weird, unfair time, the ultimate judgment was placed on you and our sins were taken care of and death was defeated. And the ultimate health care plan was given to all of us who would just accept it. Freedom in you, eternal life, joy in Jesus. Lord, we love you. And I'm praying that for us, we would just fully embrace that hope in our heart. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Take 30 seconds. We're just going to reflect on God. If there's anything you need to confess to God, just give it out to him. same night, Jesus took the cup. So this is my blood shed for you and for all for the forgiveness of sin. Do this in remembrance of me. Take a drink. God, thank you for remembrance. That often as we gather, we would we remember what you did. And thank you, Jesus, that we have made this a part of our service, that we could just remember what you did and just settle so nicely on my soul. God, would you help people walk through this holiday season 
come out on the other side ready for 2021, ready to go and push back the darkness with the order created by that light that you have inside us. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.